Hello. Yellow. How's it going, Nick? It's going well. How's it going with you? Good. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Got nice. you. All right. So it's working well. Well, then, would you like to introduce what we're doing today? I would. Uh, today, we will be talking about Into the Wild. And yes, indeed. And all of its strange moral implications and quandaries. Yep. Yep. So. All right. So, according to this transcript we have, let's start with the theme. Is that, is that what's going on? Yep. Okay. So. So, basically, we're talking about uh, free will. How that's symbolized in uh, Into the Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, the various kinds of ground it covers with regard to predestination and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada. Um, and you go ahead. Yeah, because our, our statement that we're analyzing is the only person you become is the person you decide to be and all the moral implications and stuff that come with it. Um, and one of the things we wanted to analyze while talking about that is into the wild because that's our book that we're doing yeah we've been assigned to do this and we are subject to the whims which govern us we we are being forced to do this against our will yes there's there's somebody holding a gun to my head (laughs) anyway uh moving on (laughs) all right well well, they don't want us to talk about them being here (laughs) um okay so yeah i think i guess we should just start with our opinions on what the book says about that and i think what the book is trying to say is that you really have to make your own decisions and pave your own path in the way of your future because while there can be predestiny and i think the main character even does take some stock and like put faith into predestiny um, I, it's a, a lot of just doing things yourself because he doesn't rely on a lot of other people, um, except when he needs like lodging for a little bit or whatever, but most of his big steps is just by himself. Yeah. Um, it very much so deals with the kind of theme that, um, it's a very American idea yeah. that it, a person's own responsibility to try and uh, construct a destiny, a place for themselves wherever they go. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when considering uh, the idea of the open road and the idea of hitchhiking, it's inherently avoiding uh, the commitments and the strictures of a um, sort of stratified life yeah. for the sake of this ultimate kind of freedom. He definitely wa- He definitely yearned for that sort of, I don't want to say fluidity, but just like freedom from that uh, really static life he lived in. So that, I think that's part of it is the way he did his journey. Cause uh, there's even a part in the book where um, his previous employer, uh, I think it's like Westerberg, is it? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Westerberg. North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, He offers him a plane ticket and he's like, that would ruin the whole thing because it's too mainstream. So to speak, it's too just like, not enough off the beaten path and not enough my choice sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and at the same time, it is weird how he also has this kind of idea that he is <coughs> destined, for lack of a better word, uh, to find some kind of meaning in nature, in the in the wild. Mm -hmm. um, and that in some way there's this transcendental quality to uh, the world out there in the kind of savage, quote-unquote, wilderness. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting that he chose Alaska because while it does talk about in the yeah. book how he went there as a child with his dad and his dad had um, business stuff going on up there. So he was been up there quite a bit. Um, I did think it was interesting because it's the last frontier. So you have all this wilderness going and a lot yeah. of people like McCandless who are just kind of hopeless wanderers trying to fill that uh, void in their heart that they think is going to be filled by uh, like a big cathartic experience or something. Um, yeah in nature but at the same time there's a lot of like his dad around there like there's a lot of big like companies and stuff and there's a lot of mm. um some of that big almost big city stuff that's just yeah. more displaced there um yeah especially like the idea of just having a few miles off these uh this group of cabins yeah owned by this weird collection of yuppie families or something totally yeah or like how the national park service or something some branch of the u.s government had those uh cabins for like uh those rangers i think that go on sort of escapades out there yeah 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 so it is it is pretty tainted with not tainted but it has experienced a lot of that human influence so I think it's interesting that McCandless still wanted to go to Alaska because it seems like he wants to find all the undiscovered parts of the map like the, all the untrodden parts but there's really no place like that I think so yeah especially consider I think it's more how he sort of ended up mythologizing it with the Jack London and the Thoreau. Yeah. Uh, he tried to impress onto it this idea of it being the last frontier for Manifest Destiny and all of that. Yeah. And then back to the uh, all the free will stuff and like taking action. He really does have a set course throughout the whole thing because he has to make so many decisions at different times. And he's, uh, you know, obviously very stubborn. But um, McCandless is definitely a person that makes life how he wants it to be and, and shapes it to himself. And even at the detriment of the people around him sometimes. Yeah. Um, what I find very interesting is um, the fact that he does hold this uh, degree of personal agency in that he's chosen this life on the road and all of that. Um mm -hmm. But at the same time, he is also kind of um, open to circumstance dictating his actions. Like uh, when he's staying with the old man, what's his name in uh, Arizona? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And he offers to adopt him and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because uh, McCandless is both subject to the circumstances of um, him already having his family in Annandale and him being him having chosen this sort of rugged lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so from a perspective of kind of auto hypnosis, he ends up tricking himself into um, saying that he has no choice but to continue on. Yeah. 
while at the same time also having the free will of, oh, I don't want to live with this old man in the middle of nowhere. That's true. Yeah, I yeah. didn't think of that. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'm just pulling up some of this, some of the documents that we looked at earlier. Yeah. Um, one of them is not opening. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, uh, yeah. It's the first document on the sources on the to support the claims. Uh, for which source? The first? Just outright? Yeah, it's the one after Into the Wild on the first one, yeah. All right. Um, well. If not, we'll just talk about the suicide one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how normal conversations yeah. go. We'll talk about the suicide. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, one thing I'd like to, to bring up is um, just uh, generally the kind of idea that um, inherently uh, McCamless tries to live out this pretension of a noble wilderness and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, basically through his own sort of free will and volition creates a sense of circumstance and a sense of moral obligation to continue on with that. Yeah. So just throwing that out there, I guess. Yeah. No, (laughs) yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Just realized at the top of the the source document, it has my name as Nicholas. Uh, (laughs) Yay. And so I, I'm officially a Serbian or something. (laughs) Nicholas Vakana. Nicholas Vakana. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're already 10 minutes in, by the way. <laughs> nice. Is there a cap we need to have? No, there's no cap. Okay, well, let's try to keep it under 30 minutes at least. <laughs> you know, that's a... I, I'd say that's a pretty rational... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, uh, is, this, is just a, this is just a warming up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Getting the audience psyched. Yeah, we're getting we're getting them psyched. We're getting them used to our uh, our banter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what we do. In case you couldn't realize. Yeah. Yep. A lot of tangents. <laughs> Continuing. Um, okay, so basically, this whole document is about how suicide should not be prevented, and we thought this would go hand in hand with our whole debate about free will and people deciding what they want to do. Cause it also goes into a little bit with um, government control because Chris McCandless yeah. was very much a staunch, like I'm not going to have a hunting license because the government doesn't need to know what I'm going to be doing. Um, yeah. Very kind of libertarian perspective. I wasn't about to say anything there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, carry on. I'm just kind of skimming the thing right now. All right. Um, well, I think it, the article brings up a bit of a, a moral question of to what extent can we regulate um, the innately human desires or innately mm-hmm. human sort of impulses or drives? Yeah. Um, and in this, it's, um, if I read it correctly the first time, um, it's not exactly zeroing in on things like euthanasia and um whatnot mm-hmm. assisted 
um, it's talking about suicide very generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's bringing up the idea that it is a person's own responsibility to kind of uh, go ahead with that, ra- go ahead with trying to find destiny and making that choice. Yeah. Rather than having it treated as a crime. Yeah. As well, it is. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely a more ideological part of it. There isn't like many statistics per se. Um, they do yeah. interview some people. Um, they look at some connections between words. They have some like cinnamon use or synonym use. Cinnamon. Um, to yeah. Help, yeah, they use cinnamon in this argument. So yeah, to, to pepper uh, it. To pepper <laughs> that yeah. Um. um but yeah, it's just talking about how we're not totally sure. There's not enough evidence to actually show whether suicide prevention actually prevents suicide and how the because the government is putting forth these resources to try and, you know, stave off the, you know, suicide, um, that it doesn't work because of that. Yeah, um, in a way, I think it very much so touches on how the idea of creating the uh, taboo around discussing Mm -hmm. uh, suicide and things like that by, in a way, criminalizing it and putting this much stigma on it. Yeah. uh, Very much so kind of um, demonstrates this degree of um, emphasis on how that could inherently influence a person's decision or... uh, leave them unaware of the uh, resources out there to help them or something to that effect. Yeah. Which I, I think that's important. I think it's good to know all your options and good to um, decrease taboo around topics, because I, I think that talking about more things helps to put them not in a better light, but just in, in more of a clarifying light. So that people understand it more because I feel like the ignorance part of that is what hurts people the most. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It it removes the kind of um, mystifying aspect to it. The bit that is difficult for people to grasp and understand. Yeah. um, Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Well then, thank you. Suicide should not be prevented by Thomas Saz. I don't know how to say his last name. How's it spelled? S-C-A-S-C. Or S-C-S-Z-A-S-Z. Sorry. Sassage. Sassage. Nice. Sassage sounds... I don't know. It sounds like the name of a weird DJ. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to quickly deal with my cat because he's whining about something. So okay. Just... Mm-hmm. Oh, he just wanted to be let in. Okay. So, hello, bear. <laughs> Strange black mask. Of fur. Anyway, okay. I think uh, yeah. I think we should just talk about one more thing and then move on to the the counterclaims. Um, it is one's own responsibility to make of life what they will. Yeah. 
thoughts? So, <laughs> um, I think that the idea uh, behind that um, proposition is basically that we as humans um, see and interpret this world a certain way. We live in it, mm -hmm. and we deal with the strictures of it, and it is our responsibility to um, kind of work around them, to try and um, sort of modify them in a certain regard to fit our needs, or just try to grapple with them and wrestle with them mm -hmm. in whatever we do. And also make them a bit more understandable to us, I think, to rationalize it. Yeah, to rationalize and to categorize it and try and um, very much so package it in a neat way of mentally understanding things. Yeah. Um, and... Which is something I don't completely agree with, but hey... <laughs> it's what we do <laughs> yeah um yeah i think i think it uh i think we should allow it to be abstract as well but i don't totally think there's anything wrong with people rationalizing it as long as they're know. not changing it or like skewing it you know yeah um the large thing about that is um we as humans uh have an evolutionary kind of uh cognitive desire to try and simplify things to try and uh understand them within make it black life. and white in a lot well in a lot of ways yeah um but it's trying to to simplify under terms that we can understand those can be multicolored varied terms but they still might not fully uh respect the whole idea behind or it encompass the, the whole idea yeah um and I think that the real problem with that is that we end up creating biases mm -hmm. around those categorizations. We end up trying to, uh, for lack of a better kind of phrase and for getting back to into the wild, uh, not acknowledge the forest for the trees. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. And then just one more thing before we move on to the counterclaims. I think what this is also trying to say for the, the phrase it is one's own responsibility to make of life what they will is that um things don't happen to people as much as people make life for themselves um and i think mm. a bit of this was opposite from mccandless because while he did really work hard he was set up for success from birth essentially um yeah because his parents were very successful and everyone around him was very successful and he always got into good schools so he did work really hard and he did help make his life what it was and getting really good scholarships and things like that but it was also just a bit of what he was set up for and i think yeah this will go into our counterclaims of circumstances can drive someone's life even more than personal initiative sometimes <laughs> but um McCandless definitely wanted to overcome this and actually do everything himself. Yeah. Um, I think it's, there's quite a lot of an emphasis uh, for McCandless on this idea that he was handed this privileged lifestyle, uh, was given this kind of, hi, um, this kind of existence <laughs> under those terms. And he, uh, rejects that because he sees it as false in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, you think um, he's only able to reject it because he's given the 
getting to the counterclaim, he's only able to reject it because he has an awareness of his position. Yeah. Granted by that position itself. Right, because if he wasn't aware of it, then there'd be no way to combat it for him. Yeah, because think about this. He grew up in a very kind of uh, scholarly household, so it would in all likelihood be that there were these Jack London and Thoreau books lying around in the writings of Tolstoy and all that. Right. And that from there, he would be able to um, extract an ideological view and gradually develop his own um, ideals mm -hmm. by interpretation of these things. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like we see that a lot with, um, it's sort of like the idea of with parents and they're either like controllingness or really relaxedness. There's always going to be the exception to the rule, and there's always going to be the inverse effect sometimes. Whether that's like um, if you demystify alcohol, then the children may not, you know, just try to pursue that. But some yeah. of them may, even if it is demystified. Um, and if you if parents are successful, then they might have children that embrace that success. Or they might have children like McCandless who simply want to abandon all of that and try and find the true meaning of life, um, abstaining from materialism and things like that. Yeah. Um, well, think about the whole idea of, a, of how a hitchhiker really emerged in our popular culture. Um, you had people like uh, Jack Kerouac who symbolized that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And their whole idea was living in this idyllic sort of 40s, 50s um, America that had the whole white picket fence kind of fa a nuclear family uh, yeah. structure to society. And people who observed that and um, then, like, even looking back to things like the Lost Generation and the Second World War mm -hmm. and realizing how inherently disingenuous that kind of cultural zeitgeist can be. Yeah. Um, and how unnatural it is. But I is, I, I, I is, I do, is. I do think it is interesting though, because I think even at our school and places of establishment, just around kind of where we live, there are a little people, uh, there are a lot of people that are uh, content with their surroundings um, by creating these not necessarily false because they they're they are real and they're real to them to those people yeah. but they're just kind of pursuits and goals created um that it, it's tricky because they it doesn't diminish life because there are bigger scopes of things there is a, a world out there you know but um there are a lot of people that are just content with living in, you know, Colorado for the rest of their life. And I don't think we see a lot yeah. of those stories because we see a lot of the people who just want to go out into the wild, you know, yeah. and do all those things that McCandless did. Yeah. For a lot of people in a, in a lot of ways, reality is a very subjective kind of thing. Yeah. Just like, I have this world around me. I have my surroundings here. And that is what matters to me right here, right now. Yeah. The present moment. All of that kind of stuff. Yep. All right. We have our next two documents. Mm-hmm. We have Nature or Nurture, Unraveling the Roots of Childhood Behavior Disorders, which is yeah. all about... 
you know, how your light, how your surroundings affect you and how you affect yourself. And then wisdom for the ages in Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching. Yeah. Yep. Um, so which would you like to cover first? I think we should start with Tao Te Ching. All right. This is my area. Of yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Tao Te Ching, as a bit of background information, uh, written in, uh, is uh, written by the possibly non-existent philosopher Lao Tzu. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this collection of poems and teachings that basically state that in the universe, um, all things are inherently integral, all things are inherently harmonious, all things are basically part of a greater whole called the Tao. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm starting to sound like Keanu Reeves eventually. <laughs> it's <something>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the whole idea of it is that we live in this world governed by a sort of flow, a sort of energy underlying things, um, a metaphysical kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And it's um, one with ourselves, it's one with nature. And it drives action. It creates the idea of us having initiative, of everything having inherent free will in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And um, then states that uh, you can't really really tell if you have free will or if it's predestined. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of ways, uh, neither is true. Your actions are inherently governed by that unifying flow, the unifying Tao. Mm -hmm. But it has no ultimate destination. It has no ultimate place to go. Right. So if if you're governed by this energy with no kind of will itself, is it really free will? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and with regards to uh, human action, I think the implication, well, the, this has been studied a lot, and the implication of Taoism is essentially realized to be that we should live in a way that most accords to that sort of flow and that sort of direction mm-hmm. and recognize our own loss of autonomy. Yeah. And I, at I the think... same time, trying Sorry. to act in self-interest in a lot of ways. Yeah. John? Totally. Okay, yeah, we got to wrap this up soon. We're almost at 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the Taoism part is definitely, I feel like what McCandless was trying to do in all of his pursuits, he was just trying to realize that because near the end, he figures out that um, happiness isn't really happiness until it's shared with others. Because if it's just yourself, then you don't really know what it is. And it's all about that, um, how you interpret your environment um so i think he was totally trying to find that yeah and i think that getting back to the idea of humans categorizing these things there is a problem there because in the Tao Te Ching, lao tse even right um the Tao that can be told that is not the eternal Tao. the name that can be named that is not the eternal name whoa <laughs> yeah so basically the idea is that nature inherently is beyond our comprehension right and that we can't control it, really. Um, yeah. 
I think McCandless falls into the mistake of trying to uh, sort of grasp it, trying to find a reason or an answer. Yeah, he definitely tries to rein it in for his own understanding. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And that might be because, like, weird Western Christianized influences or whatever, but that's... That's that's true as well. There's, yeah. Yeah. Definitely had that experience as well. Yeah. So, continuing. (laughs) And then, yeah, this is our last document. Just to kind of wrap things up with some final ideas. Um, Yeah, we made made good time with all the transcript stuff. I thought we'd be talking for like three hours. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Basically, this last document is about uh, nature versus nurture. And then it's all about childhood behavior disorders, which doesn't totally relate, but... um, we can touch on how McCandless is thought to be a little, you know, not right in the head sometimes a by certain people, yeah. um, just because he abandoned a lot of like vital resources that he could have used while, while uh, during his stay in the Alaska or not using a map or things like that. Um, other than that, not really any other behavior disorders necessarily. Except yeah. for, I would like to talk about his issue with empathizing with people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's vaguely sociopathic in a lot of ways. I yeah, think. totally. Uh, um, I One story that sticks with me a lot is the one about, like, his... I don't remember. It was in, like, one of those trailer parks he stayed at, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> or, like, yeah. maybe the place in Arizona bullhead city um Mm -hmm. yeah but one of those places but uh it was like a 17 year old girl and i don't know how old he was but um a 17 year old girl that really had a big crush on him and it was just like chasing him around all the time but um of course he was on his big journey and his big existential like trying to answer questions and stuff like that um but it's totally one of those like whenever you hear of the hopeless wanderer they do get stuck on people and they do get stuck on like these random love interests and stuff um but yeah. uh he just leaves and she sends him letters but he returns the letters to send her just like the letters with his family um and i just thought that was interesting because usually when you hear about that that becomes like the cliched like young love or temporary long young love yeah. or whatever leading um, yeah 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 but i just thought that was interesting as well as the fact that um he was with that uh old man who is who had yeah. lost his entire family when he was at war and um yeah. mccandless almost had like the gall almost to leave him even though he yeah. knew the old man became very attached to him and basically had a sort of emotional dependency on him. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of the ways, the old man uh, tried to assign the sort of transcendental or spiritual quality to their relationship. Yeah. Uh, because he saw it as McCandless having selected him for this sort of existence. Oh, totally. Thing to look at. Yeah. And especially musings over Christianity and whatnot. Well, yeah, because then when um, when he is interviewed by Krakauer near the end of the book um, and they're talking about McCandless and everything, 
he gets like really emotional. The old man gets really emotional and he talks about how he's kind of stopped praying because of, um, because Chris died and he, that was like his one prayer for so long is that please let Chris live and please let him come back to me and come home. Okay. One time. And that was the same with his mom, with uh, McCandless mom, uh, Billy, she kind of stopped yeah. uh, placing her faith in God or any sort of divinity because in her words, and this is not verbatim, obviously, but um, she, uh, her God let her down because he didn't bring Chris home safe. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's fascinating because both uh, Billy and um, the old man, they recognize that um, God works in mysterious ways mm-hmm. and they recognize that whole sort of Christian ambiguous idea that yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is some greater divine plan and we don't know what it is, which is, um, but yeah. in my view anyway, um, yeah. and the, but I think it's interesting how they grasp with that on an intellectual level, mm-hmm. but on an emotional level, when that is so, uh, existentially threatened by the idea of McCandless having died so young mm-hmm. after they prayed so much. Yeah. I think it's fascinating to see how their belief is eroded by that. Yeah. And, and how dainty they're, well, not dainty necessarily, but um, how, yeah, that really was affected by Chris, by Chris's yeah. Um, death. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it's almost why you think for a moment this must have been a novel, um, because it just feels so perfectly allegorical. Yeah, even though it's, it really it's does. Completely, but yeah. Yeah, the whole thing just feels like it was begging to be a story. His whole life was just begging to be put on a page. <laughs> well, he believed that a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. Writing in the third person and basically trying to frame his own life as an allegory. Yeah. Uh, where where he's symbolic of wanderlust or something. And yet being really uh, honest about his uh, leaving his parents and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's strange, but it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It was a good book. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mr. Nicholas, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Um, n- not especially. Would you like to leave anybody with anything, Mr. Stricker? Uh, you know, Into the Wild by John Krakauer is a good book. Um, and I think some people should read it. Um, and yeah, I think I just like to say that, um, I think what Krakauer tried to do is remind everyone of the, of the extremists in life, because the extremists are good in our lives. They keep us in check. They, you know, make life interesting for us. They make sure we don't get too holed up in our our computers and our Netflix and yep. Yeah. Uh, well now I do have something to say. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Realizing that I did. Uh, I think it's important to realize that, uh, we can critically examine McCandless's life, Mm -hmm. uh, as a human being with the value of hindsight and the value of the message that can be taken away from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this does not mean that we should try to mythologize the figure of Chris himself. In fact, Krakauer uh, kind of seems reluctant to even do some anything like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's, it's fascinating because he embodies a confused youth, a confused kind of zeitgeist around and energy around um, trying to go out into the world and make of it what you will. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very well done book. It's very well written. Beautiful yeah. image and whatnot. Um, and I feel like inherently it is a portrait of a human being a human. Yep. Making human decisions. And it interrogates in us that own aspect to ourselves. I applaud you. <laughs> too, I so, so, well, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for joining me for this. <laughs> All right. Well, I will see you on the morrow then. I will see you on the morrow. All right. Sounds good. See ya.